and welcome inside to Keeping It Real with Alexander Garrett. Hope you're having a great, great day. And uh, if you're a millennial out there, there might be something on your mind that you're telling millennial therapists. At least my next guest has been told this over and over again. And I saw this article in CNBC by Tess Brigham about the one thing millennials have on their mind out of everything. Believe it or not, it's not politics. But Tess, you are a therapist and coach, and you, you didn't really brand yourself as a millennial therapist, but yet you've been coaching us over the years. Is that right? Yes, that is. So, and thank so, you so much for having me. Sure. So you wrote you wrote this for CNBC, and and yes. tell us what's going on in the millennial mindset uh, to begin with. Um, a lots of things. I mean, the article really focused on what the number one complaint is that I hear, and. Um, it is decision-making and making decisions. Uh, when you're young, you know, the possibilities are endless. You know, when you don't have, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have maybe a long-term partner, you don't have kids, you know, you're, the world is out there and you have so many options, which on one hand sounds amazing and wonderful, but at the same time, as we know from research, that the more decisions we have, the harder it is for us to make decisions. So what I see is a lot of my clients just being stuck and not making any decisions at all. And and so is that just because, as you say, we're not lazy. They're just – what, what's driving that lack of moving forward? Um, no. Millennials are definitely not lazy by any means. I hate all of the negativity that's been out there about millennials, and I'm happy to comment on that. But it's not laziness at all. I think what people don't quite understand, especially older generations, is just the fact that information and what is possible or what feels possible to young people today just wasn't not wasn't possible 20, 30 years ago. You have to think about what the Internet and social media does. To, a, to any of us trying to make a decision. Once upon a time, you know, I know for myself when I, when I was starting out after college, you know, if I wanted to learn about how to raise alpacas in South America, you know, I'd have to go, if I wanted to go off and sell all my stuff, right, I would have to go to the library, look up a book, maybe find someone who's done it before. And sure enough, I would go, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. And I would take it off my list and I could move on. And I would start to get more realistic. But what we don't realize is, is that, you know what, it's pretty easy to start to research that in today's world. That for many young people, what they're doing is they're thinking, well, maybe I do want to do that. Maybe that is an option. And they're Googling it and they're getting on there and they're learning about it and they're bookmarking it. And so suddenly this option that the rest of us could easily take off our list becomes a part of someone's list today. And I think that we just don't recognize how much information is out there and how easily obtainable it is. And so we are all, it's getting harder and harder for all of us to make decisions because of this. Well, and you know, it's about talk about research. It's true. I, I find that I'm on my phone a lot, as is I'm sure a lot of people, but we're not using the phone to research something. We're using it to check Instagram, to check Twitter, yeah. to check Facebook, to check our notifications, most importantly. And we're really losing time on that, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. It's a complete time suck. And definitely, it's not just millennials. It is um, everybody. We're all anybody who has a phone can tell you how much of a time suck it is. And I think that when you're at this precipice of making these big life decisions, 
you that it is natural for us to feel fear. And so, you know, we feel this fear. A lot of young people are feeling it and it gets easier and simpler to just get lost. Well, I'll just check Instagram for 15 minutes. And then I'll get back right. to making these big life decisions. And what gets lost is, is that a couple different things happen. You're getting lost in Instagram and losing time, but you're also seeing, you know, people's lives. And it gives you a false sense of reality of what you should and should not be doing now. And suddenly you're back to being confused about what is it that you want to do. Well, and I tell you, this, this, um, it's true. You do get lost in that. But some of this started back in the 08-09 with the financial crisis because mm-hmm. that's not gone away for any of us in this generation. And I think we'd rather do the scrolling than figure out what could di- what it takes to do a mortgage because we're buying into the media idea that the economy still is not as good and that there's no hope out there instead of like buckling down and figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the world, right, we're we're able to get so much information now. It is incredibly scary on a lot of levels. And I can I understand that feeling of feeling like, well, what's the point? You know, I'm not going to be able to afford a house. So what's the point of trying to, you know, work hard and get to that place? Um, Unfortunately, you can't even even afford an apartment these days. That's how that's how crazy it is. Yeah, no, it is. I, you know, I'm out here in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is notoriously expensive. And um, I am, you know, I'll tell my clients like what I used to pay for rent, you know, back in the 90s. And they are shocked. And I said, you know, back then I barely made any money, didn't have a car, you know, but I had a great life. And so what it takes for someone to live, especially in these huge cities like New York, L.A., the Bay Area, the kinds of jobs you need, what it takes, it just feels incredibly frustrating. It's like, well, I'm going to work really hard, and then all my money is going to go to rent. All my money is going to go to this, so what's the point, right? Well, so so Tess, in your article, you also listed a bunch of different tips and advice that um, that maybe we're not hearing enough of today. So, so start rather... Uh, let's start with, you know, your first tip, which is always look at your options, right? That's one of the big things. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to see what your options are and what's out there for you. Um, and you want to, you also want to be very clear on what's realistic and not realistic for you. As I used that, you know, I talked earlier about the alpacas in South America. It's like, if you know in your heart of hearts, that's not what you want, get it off your list. You want to you you don't want to um, cloud yourself with too many too many options. Too many options feels too overwhelming. So once you have a couple, those are the ones you want to focus on. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, and and the other thing is you said talk about how you truly feel, and I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast can relate. That's very tough to do because. Uh, I don't know. I think the phone and, and technology is used to deflect from how we truly feel. So how do we best do that? Well, I think with that, it's really about the acceptance of feelings. What I see a lot of um, is my clients will have feelings about something and there's this idea of, okay, I have a feeling about it. And so therefore I should act upon it or it's telling me something or um, I need to do something about it. And that's not necessarily true. 
sometimes we just have feelings about things and they are what they are. You know, when we get back to this idea of decision making and finding your path in life, it's really about whatever you pick, you're going to feel things about it. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel fearful. You're going to feel angry. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel all of these things. Sometimes that's, it doesn't mean anything. It's just what you feel. And um, I think what's very, what's hard is, is that that's a big part of life is figuring out, you know, what are these, are these just temporary feelings? Am I just sitting in my fear? What's going on? Or is this like a real something I need to be um, aware of? And I think that what's happened for a long time is there's been this attitude of just put your head down and go, you know, don't, don't feel your feelings, get, you know, don't deal with them at all. And and I think what's really switched for us is there's been this lean towards the other side of, okay, I'm going to feel all my feelings. And I'm like, well, it's not that. It's no. somewhere in between. It's, it's recognizing that anything that you do that's new and different is get, and hard is going to feel scary. And, and those feelings are okay. And you still need to push forward. And, it's, and if you're truly, truly unhappy in it, then that means something else that's different than your fear. We're done with Tess Brigham. She is a therapist and coach. And I got to ask you, uh, Tess, have you dealt with millennial couples? How is that <laughs> dating field in in your therapy sessions? Um, I have dealt with millennial couples and millennials and dating. I mean, the two big issues that my clients come and see me for are work and relationships. And certainly, um, you know, I've had to learn a lot about online dating in that process. And I, again, I think much like anything else in life, dating has become, right, dating has become one of those things where it's hard to make a decision. If you, once upon a time, you know, it used to be like, okay, who do my friends know? Who's on my college campus? Who, who's in my dorm, right? It was very much immediate. And now it's kind of like, well, I can meet anybody in the city or anybody in this 50-mile radius. And there's this attitude of, well, why settle for this person? Someone better might come along. Or why settle for this person? Someone better might come along. And I think that people, um, what I've seen a lot of is, is that people really are either not giving people enough of a chance or they're you know, spending an enormous amount of time communicating via text, and that's not a relationship. Right. Um, and you know, online dating is a way of accessing, uh, it's a way of being able to beat people, but the messages aren't, aren't telling you anything. Like I always tell people, you got to get in a room with this person and see if there's anything there or any chemistry, but you know, in terms of couples themselves, you know, my millennial couples, they have the same issues that all couples do, but especially here in the Bay area and, and, in many other places, it's two people both working all the time, you know, who are also struggling to find time for themselves. And and um, and I think that what I, the biggest thing that I see with couples is be, the two people being able to prioritize each other when there's so much other there's so many other things going on. It's a combination of that. And especially when you're young, you know, you are figuring out who you are as a person. You are growing. And our brains don't fully form until we're 25. So for many people, they find someone at 20, 21, 22, and now they're 28. And they're realizing like, oh, this isn't, we're not the same people anymore. Mm. And does this make sense? 
How does, uh, how is, because I've sort of labeled this a cultural podcast, I want to get more into that because I feel like there's still a culture war we're all trying to fight against and trying to just bring our own selves into the culture. But how has culture impacted your field, impacted millennials? Um, again, that might not be talked about in the daily mainstream media. Culture in what way? The culture of how technology has changed, the culture of the politics, or... Well, well, I just think, how has culture talked to millennials and people in their 20s nowadays than it has, you know, years ago? Um, I don't know. You stumped me. That's a good question. I mean, I when I think about how culture... I guess you're going to have to explain this a little bit more to me. So how the how music or how cultural things have affected millennials or how are how the culture that we live in today yeah the culture we live in today yeah is affecting how that affects millennials sure and and what we're being told by society that we should just ignore completely uh because i don't think we do ignore it that that's another problem that we hear Mm -hmm. from society you're this and the other and we just tend to stick to that instead of bowling through and, and doing it yeah i mean i i think that that's a good question. Um, I think that what I see a lot of is, um, parent, I mean, I think what I see with my clients is it's much more around what their parents' expectations are, what their parents' expectations are, what they see their parents have done and not done, and um, how they want to, how the millennial themselves want to live their lives. Um, I think on the whole, the you know, even though it's not, even though we sort of talk about it in general terms, um, culturally, it, it, you know, I don't think social media is helping us <laughs> in, right. in many ways. I mean, I think that, right, this, this idea of being on our phones 24-7, I think workplace and this idea of, okay, now we're, that we're all connected all the time, we should all be connected all the time. Um, I think that bosses especially can put a lot of pressure unknowingly on their millennial employees by emailing them on the weekends, by texting them, by sort of, you know, by making them feel like they have to be working all the time. I often tell the story that, you know, my first job, we worked 930 to 530. And when 530 came, we shut off the lights, we left. And that was it. I wasn't responsible to do anything until 9.30 the next day. And I think that that's this culture that we live in today of, like, being connected 24-7 makes many of my millennial clients feel like they have to be connected. And in order to be successful, they have to be connected and do work at 10 o'clock at night because their boss is emailing them. Well, and I tell you, um, yeah, and there were, you know, bills that were going to say don't text your employees after i don't think we should regulate that either it's just that's part of the culture but i know that and it and uh, i have a radio host that works on weekends so of course i have to follow that and track it and stuff and i don't mind that i love working in radio but i'm sure for some it gets very daunting at uh, at times but one thing i will say is over the years is i've noticed people are using the technology to just shut off from their actual friends and focus on, you know, like, oh, if I can just text you, then that's that's all you, you know, that's all that mm-hmm. should be socially or a like on Instagram. That should mean I'm interactive with you. But that's not always the yeah. case. And I don't feel that way. Uh, I feel like there should be more than just a like on Instagram. But that whole interpersonal is is 
evaporating in front of our faces, Tess. Yeah. No, it is. It is. I mean, I think that once upon a time, right, we would tell a friend like, hey, I'll come to your birthday party. I'll meet you on Tuesday or whatever it is. And right. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have texting. We didn't have a way of telling them no. And so we went. We forced ourselves to go. I think that texting is one of those things where it's really it's so easy to cancel plans. It's so easy to say no. It's so easy to brush something off because we don't have to interact with that person. And so I do see people really shutting themselves off from other people. And I think that while, you know, that that what we don't recognize is, well, we may be tired that night on Tuesday that we want to go home, that that interaction, that hour or two, however long we stay of interacting with our friends, it is important. And I think that it just gets, it feels easier at times to kind of wall yourself off and be with your phone or, you know, binge watch something, but that's not what is really going to help you long-term. And so, yeah, I think that that's the idea of just sort of, okay, I can check out and not do anything. Or I have a thousand Instagram followers. It's like, okay, but that those aren't friends. Right, right. They're not. You know? And we don't need, I think that's the other piece of it too, which is we don't need people feel like, well, I need to have this group of friends because they watch the show Friends or because they've been watching certain shows and feel like, well, I need to have a group of six friends and I need to have a place to hang out. And it's like, no, if you have one or two people that you can count on, that's your golden. So what you're talking about, what you're telling us now is what you've heard from millennials in your offices, right? Like, why aren't they want to hang out with me type of type of uh, worry, I guess you would say, and angst. Yeah. Well, I think because because I see people that are out of college primarily in their 20s and early 30s, um, what it is is that a lot of people from high school to college, like it's easy to make friends when you're surrounded by people your own age and everyone's there and everyone's got the same schedules and everyone can hang, hang out. And what happens is you graduate Everyone scatters. You might be in a city by yourself. You may know know a few people here and there. Everybody's working all the time. And what happens is they a lot of my clients who never had a problem making friends before, they feel very lonely. And they realize like, oh, making friends is really tough. And then there's this, you know, there's this idea of what the 20 something years are supposed to look like that have been shown for many years, right, with shows like Friends, um, How I Met Your Mother, right, where what this time of your life is. And so people feel like, oh, okay, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me because I can't make all these really close friends and I don't have all this time and energy to hang out. You know, there's this this idea of what friendship should look like. Right. And I guess because when you when you know so many people for so many years and then all of a sudden it just sort of stops and you're like, well, what's happening here? But yeah, the onus is on both parties, I think, to keep it going and. Uh, I, I like what you've got to share. Tess Brigham is with us. Tess, where are you on Twitter? Where can people find you? Um, well, you can find me. Um, on my name, TessBrigham.com is my website. Um, I'm at uh, TessMFT on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. It's just my name. That's where you can find me. Reach out. And and they can come to you, and whoever listens to this, for any advice, right? I'm I'm guessing so. Because I'm sure you get, uh, despite, in, along with San Francisco, you get a lot of consultations from around the world, I mean, with all your, with your platforms and whatnot. Yeah, yes. No, absolutely. If someone is interested in 
uh, coaching and feel like, hey, you know, she spoke to me. This is my issue. This is what I'm struggling with. Absolutely reach out. Just go to my website and there's a way for you to book a consult with me. All right, Tess Brigham, thanks for joining Keeping It Real with Alexander Guerra. And we will definitely have you back as, oh, thank you. as things shift around. So yeah. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much, All Tess. All right. Take care. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Alexander Garrett. We'll be with you again soon.